Welcome to The Catholic Perspective, a podcast brought to you by rcspirituality.org. Enjoy the episode. We live in a post-Christian culture. As a result, behavior that is considered normal and acceptable by the laws and customs of our society often twists or rejects the good morals and the message of Christ. For example, our culture's regard for life of the unborn, the sick, the crippled, and the dying has changed dramatically over the past century. We have seen a move from believing in the dignity and preservation of life to a choice for death. Mothers may determine when an unborn baby may live or die. Relatives may choose the same for a sick member of the family. So-called rights of individuals allow for the ultimate and irreversible expression of self-determination, suicide. Behind it all is a legal system and government that have decided that death is better than life, all based on legal precedent, fiscal budgets, and expediency. Choice in these cases is presented as a reasonable and even merciful idea. But is it? Or are we dealing with a particular kind of evil? To understand the diabolical nature behind this seemingly reasonable and merciful point of view, let's start with a brief reflection on Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Mother Teresa of Calcutta had her critics. They accused her of wasting time and making a big deal out of nothing. After all, she and her congregation of nuns specialized in taking care of the poorest of the poor, taking dying people off the street and caring for them as they died. And what good does that do for society? Those people are useless. They're going to die anyway. Why waste so much time and so many resources to feed and care for them and give them a roof over their heads with a bath and a bed? Why not put our energies into taking care of people who are useful for society? So argued the critics while Mother Teresa was alive. And so the critics argue today. There's an assumption underlying that point of view that many don't think about. But we have to call it out. Expose it for what it is. Here's the assumption. That human life has no inherent value. We are simply part of an animal-like evolutionary food chain. Our value is ultimately determined by our usefulness, as defined extrinsically by society, or the herd in which we live. And who decides how we define useful? Usually the leaders and influencers of a particular society at a particular time. Sometimes it's an individual, and the idea of usefulness is ever-changing. The Law of the Jungle Might Makes Right So, if we bring the assumption that human life has no intrinsic value, apart from its practical usefulness, then the logical conclusion can lead to these kinds of scenarios. People are carted to a factory or industrial complex. Each person is then evaluated by whoever is in charge. The strong, the skilled, the useful are given entry to the workforce, while the old, young, or infirmed are redirected elsewhere. The useful work until they can work no more. 
the ones who can't work are released, not from service, but from life. Why keep them if there is no hope of usefulness? I'm sure you recognize that I'm describing life and death in Auschwitz or any number of Nazi concentration camps. If human life has no inherent value, no worth beyond its usefulness as a cog in the machine of society, there ought to be nothing wrong with this scenario. And yet, we all sense that there is something wrong with it, something terribly, diabolically wrong. So what's wrong with what happened at Auschwitz? Some philosophers will argue that what's wrong with it is simply the violation of freedom. Those people on the train should have been given the freedom to make the choice themselves. They should have been given a chance to choose whether or not their life was worth living. But the logical consequence of this view is the same as a group or a culture making the decision about the value of life. We've only traded the group for the individual, and we've introduced the same flawed thinking. For example, the Nazi officer in charge of the factory has determined that his own life is more valuable than the life of the Jewish rabbi standing in front of him. And so, from the officer's perspective, there is nothing wrong with ending that rabbi's life. The rabbi may disagree. He may argue that the value of being a rabbi is equal to, or even greater, than being a Nazi officer. Who's right if there's no objective standard by which to resolve the conflict? The answer, we know from history, is that power determined the answer. Humanity was reduced to the law of the jungle. The physically stronger imposed his will on the weak. Might makes right, as the old saying goes. Can we go a step further? What about an individual who has determined that his own usefulness has ended? He's old or infirmed. He can't function the way he used to. He's a burden, or life itself feels like a burden, because it isn't what it was. The quality of his existence isn't what he would prefer. Or we could go one step further than that. An individual is suffering, in great pain from an illness, and she wants to put an end to it. That should be her choice, right? In many ways, all three examples come from the same utilitarian idea. The value of life is determined by function. A changeable standard of extrinsic usefulness that may be based on work or the conditions surrounding us, wealth, comfort, pleasure, convenience, or even a vague sense of personal desire or worth. She wants to die with dignity. Whatever the reasons, you can be sure it's not an unchanging standard based on an objective truth. Auschwitz, whether it's built by a group or an individual, is the logical result. Euthanasia, a modern-day Auschwitz. Practically, the Nazis determined who was useful and who wasn't, who was worthy to live, if only by their genetic makeup, and who wasn't. So it's no surprise that they were the first regime in modern history to legalize euthanasia. Euthanasia is defined as an action or an omission which, of itself or by intention, causes the death of handicapped, sick, or dying persons. The Nazis did exactly that. 
eliminating the handicapped and other unwanted people from the gene pool in their quest to dominate the world with a master race. It was an evolutionary concept taken to the extreme. The survival of the fittest was necessary. Our culture has added to that policy a form of personal euthanasia, making it legal to kill oneself with the help of a doctor, called assisted suicide, or to kill someone else when life has been deemed useless, a person in a coma, for example. Do I sound too extreme? Modern history has shown us that the Nazis weren't the last to show how the most powerful lawmaker, or whoever has the bigger gun, will arbitrarily win the argument about the value of life and set the standard for whether it continues or ends. In 2002, Holland legalized euthanasia, and some senior citizens began to flee the country. Why? because senior citizens were being euthanized by doctors or younger family members who had determined that death was the better option over suffering or over the expense of keeping the elderly alive and decided it was time for them to die with dignity. Human nature, when given license, will often default to expediency and convenience. Given the choice between allowing a life that had become inconvenient or expensive to continue, the government, medical profession, and family members opted for death. Many of the elderly who resisted were simply deemed incapable of deciding for themselves. Ironically, their choice was removed by the determination that they couldn't make a good choice, meaning the choice that the others wanted. No wonder, then, that there was an exodus of senior citizens from Holland. The Infinite Value of a Human Life Human life does not derive its value from some random, changing, extrinsic determination. Human life has inherent value, because every human being, simply by virtue of being human, is created and loved by God and called to live in personal communion with God. That is why human beings have any rights at all. Not because we have decided it, but because our Creator has. We have rights, but rocks, spiders, and squirrels really don't. You could argue that, just as our rights are God-given, any right given to rocks, spiders, or squirrels is actually given by humans. Every human being, regardless of age, gender, size, or health, has the same God-given rights as every other human being because they are human, because they are created by God and are called to eternal personal communion with God. This has always been the teaching of the Catholic Church. Here's how the Catechism summarizes it. Human life is sacred because from its beginning it involves the creative action of God and it remains forever in a special relationship with the Creator, who is its sole end. God alone is the Lord of life from its beginning until its end. No one can, under any circumstance, claim for himself the right directly to destroy an innocent human being. This is why Mother Teresa of Calcutta didn't hesitate to pick up dying street people and bring them into a hospice 
in order to bathe them and feed them and give them a bed with clean sheets, even though they may have had only a day or two left to live. That's what it means to die with dignity. It means to live with dignity, to respect the inherent dignity of every human life. When horses and pigs get injured or sick and become useless, it is morally acceptable to euthanize them, because they are not created in the image and likeness of God. But we don't treat human beings the way we treat horses and pigs. The meaning and value of human life are not diminished by sickness, old age, or suffering. Because human life is inextricably bound up with God, and not the other way around, personal choice about when life ends is not an option for us. It belongs strictly to God. Assisted suicide, or any kind of suicide, is an act that announces that life is truly about me. My pleasure, or my pain, is now greater than God himself, or he is not present, or he doesn't have the power to help me, or he doesn't care. These are lies that have nothing to do with what God himself has said. They are the same lies that go back to the Garden of Eden, when Satan persuaded Adam and Eve that they would be gods themselves. Discerning Ordinary and Extraordinary Medical Treatment Does that mean we are supposed to resist death at all times, no matter what? The Church, in its God-mandated authority and wisdom, deals with this question realistically. The one thing we can count on in life is that it will come to an end. We all die sooner or later. While we are not meant to promote death, there are circumstances where we are not morally obligated to resist death. For example, martyrs to the faith did not resist death when given a choice to live if they renounced Christ. Or, in another example, the Church has spoken about certain medical circumstances. The Catechism says this, Discontinuing medical procedures that are burdensome, dangerous, extraordinary, or disproportionate to the expected outcome can be legitimate. It is the refusal of overzealous treatment. Here, one does not will to cause death. One's inability to impede it is merely accepted. At the same time, however, we are obligated always to supply basic health needs like nutrition, hydration, bed rest, hygiene, and an environment conducive to life. The Catechism continues, Even if death is thought imminent, the ordinary care owed to a sick person cannot be legitimately interrupted. Three criteria are generally used to determine if a particular medical procedure is ordinary or extraordinary. If it offers a particular patient in a particular circumstance reasonable hope of benefit, without involving a serious danger of death or excessive pain, hardship, or burden, it would probably be considered an ordinary means of health care, and so we would be morally obligated to use it. If there is no reasonable hope of benefit, or if it involves a serious danger of death or an excessive burden, it is probably extraordinary, so there is no obligation to use it. These criteria have to be applied case by case. One moral theologian gives a concrete example to illustrate this point. 
If a normal 16-year-old girl gets pneumonia, treating it aggressively with antibiotics, sulfur drugs, and other tested procedures certainly offers a reasonable hope of benefit, does not involve a serious danger of death, and is not excessively painful or burdensome. But if an 85-year-old man suffering from multiple forms of cancer and kidney failure gets pneumonia, treating it aggressively with antibiotics and sulfur drugs will only aggravate his other ailments, increasing his pain and very likely hastening his death. In his case, that treatment would be extraordinary, and he would not be morally obligated to take it. Sometimes it is not so easy to determine whether a procedure is ordinary or extraordinary in some circumstances. For those cases, we need to consult with trustworthy doctors and church pastors who can help clarify the situation. Conclusion When Man Plays God In every case, however, the principle remains the same. Every human life is a mysterious and wonderful gift from God. Its value depends not on some arbitrary standard of usefulness imposed from the outside, but on the mere fact of its being human. Any society that legalizes euthanasia, or assisted suicide, is denying that truth. It is taking upon itself the terrible responsibility of saying that some human lives are more valuable than others. It is usurping the role of God, which, in the end, leads to injustice and destruction. As one modern Catholic philosopher has put it, to be or not to be, that is indeed the question. And for the Christian, the answer is a resounding to be. You have been listening to The Catholic Perspective, a resource from rcspirituality.org. Please visit our website and check out more great resources to help you pray, learn, grow, and go. Please join our team of digital missionaries by subscribing at rcspirituality.org.